Our scripture reading today is from Ephesians 3:14 through 19. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Heather, for reading that passage for us this morning. So, this sermon is, is uh, kind of a standalone. It's outside of any of the series that we've been doing. Uh, we have a few of these a year um, where we, we call them pastor's choice, where we can p- pick whatever we want to talk about. And uh, I wanted to talk about this because <coughs> it has to do with the subject of prayer, which is something that I think is increasingly uh, just becoming a lost art in the life of the church and in the lives of believers. Uh, and it doesn't need to be that way. But in this passage, we, we see some things about prayer that I just I want to unpack a little bit. Um, one of the things that we see is that we, we pray about what we care about. Uh, that's the, because prayer is something that comes up from, from within us, in, in the heart, in the soul. The things that we appeal to the creator, to the maker, to the sustainer of the universe, the things that we appeal to him about, you could argue, are the most important things in our lives. And I don't necessarily mean thanking God for pizza uh, before you eat it, but I mean like the deep, heart-level cries of the soul that you carry and that I carry like a burden. In today's text, Paul is talking about what is stirring these deep waters of prayer in him. What keeps him up at night? And if we look at what Heather just read, we see that it's, it's really about how we experience the love of Christ. That's what his prayer is. And so that's kind of the main idea is this is a passage and a sermon about how we experience the love of Christ. And it may on its surface seem like a really ordinary thing to bring up. And yet, if I were to ask you, well, well, how do you experience the love of Jesus Christ? Is it something that you kind of know about? But if you were to say, I don't know that I experience it. I don't know that it's something that, that I wake up in the morning and I, and I fall to my knees in gratitude for the love of God every day. I don't, that's what I want us to get to. That's what I want us to think about here. Because Paul is talking about, I mean, you see it in the language of this. He said, I get on my knees before the Father, who, under whom everybody on the, in the world is, is named. According, and he says that I pray that, that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, that our faith would not just be an adjective to describe us, but that it would be a waking reality for us all the time, that it would be a governing principle, a governing force, a cause for joy. He he talks about being rooted and grounded in love, that our feet are planted in that. And if you go through this life feeling like, my feet feel just unplanted all the time, I, I feel adrift in this world. That's what this passage is getting at, that we would be rooted and grounded 
And he prays, I love this, he prays that we would be able to, to understand something that goes beyond what we can understand. That's very Pauline language. It's very it's like something Paul would say, right? Give them a depth of understanding that they don't have a capacity for. And what does he want us to know? He wants us to know the breadth and the length and the height and the width and the depth of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What sort of prayer is this that Paul is praying? On the surface, we see Paul is praying that we would be strengthened, right? He's praying that the church would be strengthened, certainly in the face of persecution, but that we would be strengthened deep within by the Holy Spirit so that the bedrock foundation of our lives would rest on this astonishing comprehension of the love of Christ. In other words, he wants them to be so utterly captured by the love of God that it's foremost in their minds and hearts. And, and us too. This is what he wants for them. And we see it in the way that he expresses himself. That it flows, it, that it flows in such a way that you can see that it's something he wants for himself too. But it's deeper than that. Look at Paul's posture. He says he's on his knees. He's kneeling. before. This matters to him. He's praying that we would catch this know Christ in a way that surpasses knowing. What does that mean? Well, <clears throat> notice how there's nothing really clinical about what Paul's saying. He's not, for Paul gets, uh, people think of Paul a lot of times as a guy who can get really heady uh, and really kind of academic and lofty. Even the apostle Peter talked about Paul in this way. He said he, he sometimes thinks things that I don't understand, says things that I don't understand. But here, he's all heart. He's all in as far as his heart goes. And his heart is for the people who are hearing these words that we would understand that the love of God is not a concept, but it's a real thing. It's a powerful force. And so he's modeling a kind of prayer that we should have for one another. That we would pray for each other with a kind of urgency and a passion. That we would know, that we would know, that we would know, that we would know that the love of God is real. And so this prayer, it, it kind of has the capacity to, to haunt us. Because what he's saying is he's saying, make me someone who wants your love to be the most precious thing in those that I love. Make your love so real and so tacit and so meaningful to the people that I love that it circles back and reminds me of your love. Move me in this kind of way. Move me to a kind of deeper knowing. Engage me in my inmost being. Dredge up the deep waters. I want to tell you a story that from me in middle school that I think illuminates something I want us to see in this passage, but I tell this story with a little bit of, of trepidation. Um, and the reason is because in some ways I could come across as the hero of the story and one of the codes that I live by is beware the man who makes himself the hero of his own story. And so I think if, as I tell it, you'll see that I'm not a hero in this story. But it's, it, I tell you the story because it's one of my earliest experiences of 
having to reckon with the reality of the love of God. Not just the idea of it, not just the, 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 the you know, God loves you, but like, no, <laughs> he, he really loves deeply in ways that will haunt you. And so, so give me grace uh, as I get through it and show uh, that I'm, I'm a confused little kid in this story, um, but I'm also a willing, a willing player in hoping to show who the true hero is, uh, which is Christ. So during the first few years of, of our marriage, Lisa and I got a puppy. We got a little Shih Tzu that we named Grady. Why did we get a puppy? We got a puppy because pff, we were newlyweds, we didn't have any kids, we had all the time in the world, why not? Puppies are fun. Uh, we had a small apartment. It was great. That's why we got him. How we chose his name was a different matter. Grady. I grew up with a kid named Grady. From kindergarten through 12th grade. <laughs> it's funny. I should mention this. My eyes just welled up with tears saying his name. That factors in. So Grady was the funniest kid I had ever met. It was a little, little like kindergarten, first grade. I met him, and I just thought, this, he is hilarious. The best jokes, just physical, he was physical comedy, and, and I really liked him. And the more I got to know him, the more I came to understand that there were parts of his story that were just different from mine. Um, mine was, for the most part, a pretty happy story, you know, uh, my parents were together, we were doing okay, got along with my brother, uh, and I was just a little kid, right? But parts of his story were very different from mine. Like when in fourth grade, I realized that I had never met his dad, and so I asked him about his dad, and his answer was, I don't have a dad. And that was it. And I had never heard of a thing like that. It never even occurred to me that, I mean, I knew parents divorced, but I didn't know that you, you could be a kid and not have a dad at all. So every summer, fast-forwarding to middle school, uh, I hung out at the city pool, small town Indiana, and we had a, uh, a season pass you could buy at the beginning of summer. And to get in the pool, you just said your pass number. And I would go every day. It was my parents' form of daycare uh, for us as, as middle schoolers and high schoolers. We just hung out at the pool every day. Not a drop of sunscreen to be found. Um, and on one very hot day, like the kind we've been having for the last 30 or so, um, Grady and a few of his friends borrowed his mom's inflatable raft to float down the creek that went through our town. And they somehow punctured it, and the creek ran right along past the pool. And so when the raft started to sink, they were right by the pool, and so they stumbled up from the creek and came into the pool. Now, again, remember, we're seventh grade. These boys had been drinking. They'd been drinking all afternoon under the hot sun. And Grady was barely able to walk. And I remember seeing him and feeling worried about him. Though I didn't really understand the effects of alcohol, I could tell that he was just not present with us. This is seventh grade. And his friends were laughing at him. 
And they were laughing at how much he was struggling to just stand up. And then one of them shoved him into the pool. And he fell in, and he was helpless. And so I jumped in, and I brought him over to the edge of the pool, and he just looked at me confused, and he, and he, he just he asked, what's, what's going on? Like, he didn't know what was happening. And I told him, let me help you get home. He lived all the way on the other side of town. And he wanted to take the raft home and try to fix it. But he couldn't carry it in his condition and also walk. It had taken on a couple of gallons of creek water. And so I remember that I I carried it for him and I had to hug it because of the way it was. I had to just kind of carry it in my arms like this. It was heavy. And as we walked, he started to sober up. And he he told me what they had done that day. And they had gotten some beer and they'd been drinking warm beer uh, all morning. And, uh, and then we got to his house and he, and he just asked me, why are you doing this for me? Now, run all of this, by the way, through the seventh grade boy translator. Um, I might have added some eloquence to the conversation as a, as a 40-something. But he asked me, why are you doing this? He did ask me that. And I told him, you're my friend and I care about you. Uh, and I, I remember saying that to him because I remember in the moment being surprised by how much I meant it. Like, like that, that feeling of, of... That was a very true thing I just said to you. And I wanted him to have friends. I wanted him to have friends who didn't get him drunk and shove him into the pool and laugh at him. So, time passed. We got older. We didn't really run in the same circles anymore. But for reasons that I couldn't have expressed then, the Lord put Grady on my heart. And my sophomore year was the transforming year where I knew that I belonged to Jesus. That was the year of my my conversion to Christ. And I knew that my life would be shaped by that bond and with that came a deeper concern for Grady that just, I didn't know how to explain it because we didn't spend time together. Have any of you ever written mushy notes to someone in high school and passed them between class? I have. And for a while there, those notes were from me to Grady about the love of God for him. And they were about how I wanted him to know this love more than anything in my life. I wanted that. Now, after high school, we lost touch, and I haven't seen him since. Remember, I'm telling you all this in the context of Paul praying on his knees and saying, what I want most for you is for you to know that the love of God is real and to know how high and deep and wide and long it is in Christ. Here's what I'll tell you. I haven't seen Grady in years. A couple of times a year, every year, since high school, I have had very vivid dreams about him. And they're all the same. And they're me pleading with him 
to know Jesus. And I can't explain why, of all people, because I've known hundreds of people who need to know the love of Christ, why he's the one that comes into my dreams. But I can tell you, every time I wake up from that dream, I'm filled with a hope. And it's a familiar hope. If this is your first Sunday, I don't do this every week. (laughs) Maybe a third of the weeks I get right to the edge, though. (laughs) The hope is this. It's the feeling that I had when he asked me why I was carrying his punctured raft in seventh grade. And it's that I wanted him to have a father. I wanted him to know the love of my father. And so, since the Lord set this strange pattern of dreams about Grady coming to know the love of God, we named our dog after him so that I would remember to pray for him. We don't have the dog anymore, but sometimes I still have the dream. And I wake startled every time. Let me tell you how those dreams have worked in my life. First, they awaken in me a real longing for Grady to know Jesus. Not just to share my religion, but to... to, No. And so I pray for that, for God to work cosmically, and that God would strengthen Grady to his core. And every time this is convicting to me, because I don't assume that posture very often. Which really leads me to the second thing these dreams awaken in me, and that is they haunt me. I have to ask, is what I want for Grady still something I want for me? Because I can be pretty committed to trying to strengthen my innermost being on my own. Just fine, thank you. Paul's prayer here is not a question of if there are things we look for to strengthen us deep within. It's a question of what do we look for to strengthen us deep within. Paul isn't praying for a vacant part of our hearts, whatever's left over, to be filled with Christ. He's praying for all of our hearts to be filled with Christ. And he's praying that the focus of our inner lives would be on Christ first. He's praying God dredge up the bottoms of our inner lives and take us deeper. Sanctify my messiness. And the question is, do you want this? I don't know whatever came of those, I'm certain, awkward letters (laughs) 
that I wrote to Grady all those years ago. I resisted folding them in a crafty way. I just folded it up and handed it to him. I didn't want it to be weird, but I, I don't know what came of those letters. I don't know if he kept them. I did ask him one time if he read them, and he said that he did. And I don't entirely know why I have the recurring dream where I'm pleading with him when I haven't spoken to him in years. But I know that those dreams and those memories that go with them stir something inside of me that not only awakens a deep love for my friend still, but also an awareness that I need people to pray such things for me. I need you to pray that way for me. I need to pray that way for you too. Because when it comes to tending to our inmost being, we can be just easily lulled to sleep. So those dreams wake me up. What would it look like for us to possess what Paul is praying in such a way that we walk in it? When something happens that makes us feel unrooted, like a relationship breaks and needs mending or a job offer doesn't come through in the way that we hoped, we would know to confess that the uprooted feeling that we feel doesn't mean we really are uprooted because we're rooted in the love of Christ. Instead, we would know that this uprooted feeling is there because we're finding our foundation in something far less secure than the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of the love of God that is ours in Christ. Our prayers would shift from God, give me what I want, to God, anchor the desires of my heart in the sobriety of knowing your spirit is working in and through my life. That's my prayer for us, is that we would know the love of Christ in such a way that our desire for other people to know the love of Christ would haunt us and would wake us up and would find its way into our dreams and that in the process of that happening, it would remind us that the depth of the love of God in Christ that we so want this other person to know is the very same depth and love of Christ that the Father has for you and for me. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the ways that you work over time. Maybe the reason for my tender heart is talking about Grady on the heels of receiving children as communing members and baptizing children and recognizing that we believe that you are faithful over time in ways that are beyond the scope of our reach, that you do immeasurably more than all that we ask or think. And so, Lord, we pray, one, that you would stir in our hearts a depth of understanding of your love for us and that you would draw us deeper into it and that, would you, that you would use our lives to contend for others, as Paul does in this passage, for others to know how really your love for them. And uh, Father, we, we, we thank you that it's true.
that it's all true. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.